and welcome to another episode of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and with me today is game developer Heather Flowers. Hello, Heather. Hi, how's it going, Sarah? Oh, it's going. It's 2019, so life is, you know, how it is. Uh, how, how, how are you? Making it through, making it through. Been a long week working on the Kickstarter. Yeah, so you have a game that is on the horizon. Yep. That is uh, season two of uh, of uh, Extreme Meat Punks Forever. I've talked about it in a couple of places a couple of different times. I can't remember if I've mentioned it on this podcast, but there was a hot minute when I was kind of obsessed with season one. Uh, do you want to talk about what's going on there? Um, all right. Uh, so Extreme Meat Punks Forever is a... Um, it is an episodic, uh, anti-fascist visual novel slash mech brawler about gay disasters beating up neo-Nazis and giant robots made of meat. Um, <laughs> season one came out in 2018. Uh, we're launching the Kickstarter for season two, actually today, the podcast, uh, the day that the podcast is coming out, which is very exciting. Yeah. And hopefully we'll be getting the game out by summer of 2020. Yeah, it's it's an extension of the same plot line. It's the same characters, making even worse decisions than in season one. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's what mm-hmm. you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't you just love it when like you, you get to the second season of the thing and everything and everybody becomes much less competent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's always that's always a a good feeling. Very true to life. So you just showed me the trailer for season two and for the Kickstarter. Yeah. And I like the upscale in terms of scope, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like very identifiably the same framework, but weirder. bigger. Yeah, like like bigger, weirder, more animated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know you've brought on a handful of other people with the uh, in development to work more on like combat systems and animations, if I remember remember correctly. Uh, the person that we have working on uh, combat, both animation and level design, is and also um, like just programming, is um, Colin Horgan, also known as Me Less Than Three, who is the person who uh, developed the. Fucking fantastic mm. uh, hack and slash game, Luca Born of a Dream. Yeah, it's a good game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're very excited to have him on the project. Oh yeah, no, I, I, I've, I've been, I've been anticipating Meat Punk season two for a while, and when y'all made the announcement that he was on board, I, I lost my shit because. I retweeted Colin uh, advertising the Switch version of that game, and uh, he messaged me and was like, hey, I like your videos. Do you want a, a free code for the Switch? <laughs> and and that was a surreal moment for me because I'm not used to be to being somebody that people are like, hey, do you want free stuff? <laughs> but uh, th- so that was cool. But uh, yeah, that's another Luca Born of a Dream is another excellent game. So you're... Uh, you're transgender. I have heard this. Yes. Yeah, that's that is. The, uh, the, <laughs> I have heard this passed on the grapevine from. Yeah, yeah, maybe once or twice. Yeah, and I mean the the characters in Meat Punks are uh, the titular Meat Punks are themselves uh, just a wide array of messy gender fucks. 
Um, you've got a, a non-binary person, trans man. It's all very good. Um, what, st- what stuck out to me in in terms of like the visual novel elements in the season two trailer is how much the characters' designs have changed, uh-huh. and they've they've become uh, less. Uh, traditionally appealing, I feel like. Mm-hmm. They, they feel a lot messier in terms of people. Like, they they, they look meatier, I guess. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm curious what the, what, the, what the thought process behind that was. Yeah, I mean, the, the primary thought process um, was uh, these are people who have been sleeping on the ground for a week it would be weird if they still looked great. Mm, that makes sense. <laughs> like, the, these are people who just spent a week murdering and, uh, like, sleeping in the, uh, like, just in the desert um, and piloting mechs for 16 hours a day. They're not yeah. supposed to look happy. <laughs> Absolutely. There's an honesty in that that I feel like is something that I, I associate with like your, your Twitter presence generally (laughs) in terms of not uh, overly polishing, I guess the transgender experience. Oh, that's an awful, I don't know. Terrible phrase. (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I don't fucking know what I'm saying. I just, uh, one thing I, I really respect in everything that I've seen you do is that you um, you're not afraid to show an uglier side of things. And that to me feels a lot more precious as a work of art, because I feel like now I'm just getting on my own soapbox. I feel like <laughs> a lot of, a lot of expression about like trans, even from trans people to some extent tends to, to be more, glamorous and traditional uh, in the same way that we tend to overemphasize cis normativity and mm-hmm. and how and how we look and I don't know I just really appreciate how how rough it all is thanks I mean <laughs> my big thing when it comes to that is I don't make like I don't make what's the phrase um, empathy games I don't make empathy games I don't make games that a cis person can sit down, play for an hour, and then say, ah, I understand the transgender experience now. <laughs> Partly because games like that don't actually exist. Um, <laughs> like, right. the, the idea of walking a mile in somebody's shoes is that you actually do the walking. You can't just put on the shoes, sit down for a few hours, take them off, and say, ah, I understand everything. Yeah. Um, like, as long as you can opt out of an experience... It's not the same experience mm. because part of, like society is universal. It is everywhere. You can't stop being oppressed because you don't feel like it anymore. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I don't make games for people who want to know what it is like to be trans. I want uh, I make games for other queer people so that they can see themselves. Like, yes. they can hold up the mirror and see the parts of them that are broken and realize that it's okay to be broken sometimes. Lord knows I have. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, when when I played the first few episodes of Meat Punk Season 1 on stream the other day, I had a number of people in my chat immediately be like, oh, I am Cass or I am <laughs> Liana. And yeah, I felt that too. The first, like that's what stuck out to me the first time playing it is like, oh, that's 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 me 100%. <laughs> and yeah, I think that's ex- that's exactly it. That it, it is it is the appeal of uh being sort of an insider perspective uh, mm-hmm. that that is aimed at other insiders, I suppose. So, how do you go about like coming i guess the 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 most obvious like press tour conversation is like how did you come up with meat punks um (laughs) the way i came up with meat punks is i made a post online that said extreme meat punk forever when i was in a sort of posting haze you know how it gets yeah you're just kind of like in such a weird mental health mood that you want to be like oh i'm just gonna post random words and see what hits the wall and I posted the phrase Extreme Meat Punk Forever. And then I thought, huh, that could be something. And two years later, here we are. <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> so what, what, uh, what's your... How long have you been making games? Um, I've been making games for... Oh my god, the first game I made was over five years ago. I'm so old. So how, old. how old are you if you don't mind it? I'm 23. 23. Oh, you're so old. <laughs> I can hear the sarcasm. I can yes. feel it. Yeah. It's looks over looks at mirror my 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 aging corpse. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so how did you get into game development? Um It's something that I've honestly always been at least a little bit interested in. Um, When I was like 12 years old, I begged my parents to get me this um, like $12 game development book that was like, here's how you can make video games and it comes with software. And I was like, that's Mm. the coolest thing on the planet. And then I got the book, I got the software, I like downloaded the software and I fucked around with it for a couple hours and then I completely forgot it existed. Um, and that was the start of my game development career. Um, the first game I ever made was in, like the first actual game I ever made was in 2014. Um, it was winter if I remember right. So like end of the year, I'm not going to say the name of the game because I'm pretty sure it has my dead name plastered all over it, Uh, but it was garbage. Um, and then a while after that, I actually uh, got into college to, uh, learn game development, which was really cool. That's where I spent the previous four years of my life. I graduated um, a couple of months ago, and now I'm just kind of doing my own thing. Oh, hell yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. So I'm curious about the intersection of you, tra- I guess, transitioning uh, in the midst of the process of like studying game development. Um, the, the things that I made as I was coming out to myself were so goddamn... I don't want to call them cringy. Let's call them earnest. Mm, mm-hmm. Just like so obviously about being trans. And I was like, ooh, this is my secret. This is my little secret. This is my fun, sexy little secret. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, everybody knew. I'm pretty sure everybody around me knew. Because sure. I was not like subtle about it at all. 
And then, like, for the first, I mean, I'm sure you've had this experience. For the first year of transitioning, it just sort of feels like your entire life, your identity is in flux. Oh, yeah. Um, And it's just really strongly um, influenced by the people around you, what you're doing. Um, And it takes a long time to settle again and become a person again, Mm -hmm. rather than being a character. Yeah, I still feel like I'm figuring that out. Yeah. It took me a long time to really... Uh, suss out how to do it um a tip for you is i use a different name in person than i do online because mm. that way i can be heather flowers and then once i clock out i can be another person dang sort of keeping the two identities separate so that i don't become this sort of cardboard cut out of myself sure wow that's smart it took me several years to figure that out. Yeah, that's a. Cause I've actually seen you uh, tweet about that a couple of times, saying like, "I am not Heather Flowers," and that's always stuck out to me as like a pretty smart solution to the problem of like social, like social media identity and uh, parasocial relationships and mm-hmm. the whole the whole mire bog monstrosity of being a human being on the internet. Yeah, every day people reply to my posts. It's the worst. Oh, God. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's... <laughs> I every mean, it's, single day, God tests me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've been thinking about this the last couple of days where, well, for I, really for the last few months, but I keep forgetting that I, I've been thinking about it consistently, is the fact that I... I've I've passed the point where my notification bell is ever not lit up Mm. and I found myself on some days like I'll wake up in the morning and I'm like oh time to validate myself on Twitter (laughs) and uh, check and see like only six notifications oh my (laughs) god am I a failure now Mm. and and every time I have that thought I'm immediately like oh no it's my brain is rotting away. I can feel it. <laughs> it's getting to you. It's yeah, getting I, to me. I, I had to deal with that sort of same, I guess the right word is obsession for a while. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Treating it like a job helped. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm what I need to do. It doesn't help that like. You know, my my primary income, like where my entire income comes from, like Patreon and then, you know, stream donations and uh-huh. all, all of that shit. So, like, I am self-employed and therefore make my own schedule. And I am somebody who has been terminally online since the age of 14. <laughs> so, like, I do not have the best impulse control. I 100% feel, I feel that. I'm kind of in a similar situation. Like, yeah. all of my money is either from Patreon or game sales. So... Yeah, it's tricky. And it's it's scary because you can't really afford to unplug. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's sort of a a nightmare situation. And speaking of nightmare situations, I want to ask you, what is your relationship with like game development as a whole? I suppose like you you work on a pretty small scale compared to something like EA or uh, Blizzard, Mm. obviously. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the discourse about video games centers on the AAA industry. And it always kind of amazes me that there can be so many independent voices 
uh, of so many varying identities that no one ever really talks about, but then in the same breath as uh, like pointing out that uh, there's there's mass discrimination in the games industry and all sorts of problems are like, if only there were examples of of uh, something different. Oh, well, <laughs> anyway, here's a strategy guide f- uh, for Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> What is your what is your relationship with that like larger industry? Um, my my relationship with the larger industry is hmm, it's complicated, right? Mm-hmm. Like I have in the past uh, um, done some work with uh, Game Workers Unite. I was part of the Los mm-hmm. Angeles chapter for a bit, and I don't know that uh, that was sort of my way of doing good in the industry. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. That was a thing that I did for about a year before I moved out of L.A. Um, I'm not saying where I'm currently living, just because I'm trying to be a little bit more like, I don't know, low-key about that thing as I get a larger audience. Um, yeah, that, that that's something I'm thinking about, too. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, like my own personal relationship with the industry, like what the industry means to me is not a lot. My personal way of surviving in game development for the past several years, it always has been get a small audience that really cares. Yes. If you have a gigantic audience that doesn't give a shit about you, if you make, if you fuck up, if you have one bad day, if you like say the wrong thing online, if you put in a bug in a game by accident, that can fuck you over for life. Mm-hmm. Or at least for a very long time. But if you have a smaller audience that actually cares not just about your work, but about you, um, and like that's sort of going into the idea of parasocial relationships again, like you don't actually know me, you know the idea of me, which is its its own thing. But like people who care about your body of work will be more understanding if the next one's a flub. Yes. They'll be more understanding if the next one is delayed, if you make a mistake, et cetera, et cetera. The way to survive as an independent developer, for me at least, like everybody has their own ways of dealing with it because everybody has to survive some way or another. It's always been about getting a small dedicated audience and then growing it slowly over time um, and just making it sustainable. Yes. Sustainability is my, it's one of my favorite words. One of my other, one of my other favorite words is cantankerous. I just like oh. the way it sounds. That is a fun word to say. Cantankerous. Cantankerous. Um, that is my approach as well. And I have had that philosophy since long before I even thought of YouTube as a thing that I wanted to do. Like, like hmm. 10 years ago, when I thought I was going to be an author uh, of fiction, my, my feeling was like, I don't want to be massively successful. I want to curate like a, a relatively small audience. And I feel very strongly about the idea that good art is inherently exclusive in the sense that it is not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Like art that is for everybody is a perfectly smooth gray sphere. Art for everybody is art for nobody. <laughs> yeah, basically. Art that actually has something to say there inherently means that there will be people who disagree with that or find it objectively bad and they're just wrong generally uh i mean I, 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 con- the conversation there is complicated but like mm. 
I don't know. I uh, my thought has always been that you you make you make the kind of thing that you wish to see in the world and build an audience from that based on finding like that's that's sort of what I try to do because I, I don't want to do just YouTube videos or just podcasts. I want to branch out into other stuff. Mm-hmm. And so my my thought is like I, I want to keep uh, things unexpected and try not to pigeonhole myself into one particular avenue because I want my audience to follow me wherever I go. And that's like the the same idea. Mm-hmm. And like with with regards to parasocial relationships, I think people have taken that term. I think anytime we quantify a phenomenon with a with a term, our immediate impulse is to say, oh, so it's bad. <laughs> and I think it's important to point out sometimes that parasocial relationships are a like morally neutral idea mm. and they can be used for good and for bad. And by virtue of just how social media operates in conjunction with the human psychology it is very easy to be to, to deploy parasocial relationships or encourage them in a very bad way but mm-hmm. like the the base phenomena is not new and the, it is like an inherent part of like being an artist i feel <laughs> like is is unfortunately yeah yeah speaking to an audience um, if i could i would make games and then put them directly, I would like make builds, put them directly into the recycle bin and empty it every week. <laughs> Nobody gets to see my art. Yeah. I don't even get to see my art. Yeah. You, uh, you make it blindfold and you say, ah, there's my soul and then delete. I actually did try to make a game once um, where I didn't run it at all before building. Um, like I didn't test it at all before making the build and like, it was awful. The, it, it, the, the, I mean, like, there were only one or five glitches, but the main one was um, essentially you were this little character and you had to, like, jump and fly over to the right side of the screen. Um, but I had accidentally made it so that when you press the left arrow key, you'd go left. And if you press the right arrow key, you also go left. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. The idea was to make an intentionally bad game, so I don't feel so bad about it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Hmm, I feel like we might have an experience that lines up here. I'm curious mm-hmm. if you've faced much in the way of like transphobia towards your games or your presence. Um, in what sense? Uh, just like harassment. I, I feel like a lot of what grabs headlines when, if we're if we're talking about people who make games for a living, particularly women, particularly trans people, uh, it it, it comes back around to harassment and mm. transphobia and like targeted, you know, doxing campaigns, shit like that. And I I get the sense that that is not a thing that you have had to deal with very much. Yeah, not really. I mean, I've definitely been ignored and pigeonholed because of my gender identity. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, you know, there's lists of like games by women, um, but I'm never on the games list. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'm sure you've experienced the same thing. But like when it comes to actual harassment, like I've had a couple scares. I've had a couple people be mean to me online, but I've been really lucky um, when it comes to that stuff. Um partly because I'm, like, very conscious about, like, doxing myself online, et cetera, mm-hmm. but also partly 
I, I don't know. It's not like I don't poke the hornet's nest. I make games about killing neo-Nazis. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like the real thing that upsets those people is when things that they think are theirs aren't. Like when yeah. AAA video games aren't theirs. That's what pisses them off. When it's some like fucking weirdo lady in the middle of the desert just making games for herself. Sure. That don't even like begin to market or appeal to a fascist audience. Like they don't actually care. It doesn't come across their radar. Yeah. Because it was never theirs to begin with. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Fascists are a lot like babies in that way. <laughs> you take away their candy, they'll cry all day long. Of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've had a similar experience in that I, I actually get more questions asking me how I deal with transphobia than I do actual transphobia. <laughs> and... It, it is it has a lot to do with I, I, I feel like it has a lot to do with uh, partially my level of success is uh, large enough that a fair number of people like, come across the stuff that I make. But it's still small enough that my audience is pretty, uh, pretty specific. Uh, the Goldilocks zone. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. So, like, I don't really get a lot of transphobia. I feel like there's one or two people who will occasionally like spam my curious cat with, you know, do you think that uh, freedom is actually a bad idea or some shit? Like these really <laughs> like stupid leading questions. And mostly I just ignore those. Occasionally I'll screenshot them and like respond like, wow, look at this dipshit. Uh, but I don't, I don't tend to engage with that stuff because I recognize that it's, uh, it's not really about me, and it's it's a futile attempt to make me, I don't know, want to be invisible or like like have to defend my identity, and I just refuse the uh, refuse the premise. Mm. Especially with the internet, it's so easy to just block and move on. Yeah, it's on like uh, like an unmanageable scale, which it often can be, but mm-hmm. at a certain level, you can just block and move on. It fucks you up for a little bit, and then you just keep on living your life. Yeah, exactly. And like, I've got I've got way more people telling me that you know my my transitioning video helped them a lot than I do people uh, using slurs against me. And I don't know. I, I I feel a lot of sympathy for people who are big enough that they become the centers of these like harassment campaigns or whatever. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like there there are. Uh, a handful of people who I don't know, exacerbate things by no, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to dig into that because it, it leads <laughs> yeah, to yeah, heavily. Let's not, vic- let's not victim yeah, blame. Not, here. not victim blame. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It lean, it starts. It's, it's a difficult conversation. Yeah. Like there are definitely things that you can do to ameliorate the situation, but oftentimes we're talking about people who've, never dealt with the situation before, who don't have the handbook for it, like, are doing completely understandable things in the face of unimaginable, like, harassment. So, like, I don't blame anybody who gets harassed for how they react to it. That's fucking true. I mean, yeah, there, there, I guess I... (sighs) I, I, I've, I've approached it from the perspective of like, you have to be your own PR manager. 
And like, I just recognized like how awful that is and how unrealistic <laughs> an expectation that is. Jesus. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway. So you talked a little bit about your, uh, uh, like you make you make games about killing fascists, killing neo Nazis. Mm-hmm. I've been uh, with with my YouTube channel. I I dig a lot into like the the underpinning themes of media, and I I, lo- I try to look at them from a leftist perspective mm-hmm. as much as possible, and find and find those themes whether they're uh, intentional or not. And when I come across, I, I, I get so used to looking for euphemisms that when I come across something that is just like straight up, like within the first five minutes, Oh, Hey, here's a bunch of fascists at a bar who use slurs. Let's beat the fuck out of them. Uh, I, it kind of like takes me aback and I'm left kind of not sure how to criticize it or like, like understand it on some, which is really a failing of, uh, media in general. And, and, yeah, it's and, like people are so used to getting table scraps uh, for like queer representation and active less, uh, leftist views that uh, once you actually get them, you don't know what to do with a full feast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I've been, I've been reading a lot of um, comic anthologies lately that are explicitly like uh, on the cover title, a, a, a queer anthology or a poc anthology and i was up for like two hours last night just reading um beyond yeah beyond volume two and uh it it was just like breathing life into my soul because it was like positive urban fantasy and post-apocalyptic narratives about like queer people and finding community and all this shit that i i i uh my heart bleeds for so anyway, yeah, you make you make stuff that is very explicit in its messaging. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how you how you go about that. Like, what your thought process is, maybe. Hmm. Um, like how I write stories like that. Yeah, how do you how do you write? Where does it come from? And like, feel free to just go off in whatever fucking direction you want because I clearly <laughs> don't know what I'm asking either. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to when it comes to politics, um, one of the things that I've always really stood by, or at least have the past couple of years once I stopped being a fucking coward, was mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that uh, subtlety is for fuckers. Uh, that's line oh, two yeah. of my manifesto, my eight-part manifesto, the Meat Punk Manifesto. You can read it online. Ah. I'm not actually typing anything in. I'm just typing gibberish into the chat. Um, to make it sound <laughs> like I'm typing it up. Um, but yeah, it says here online too, subtlety is for fuckers. Um, I, there's times when you can be subtle and there's times when you got to punch somebody's lights out and we live in the second time. Mm-hmm. In times of peace, when things are good, I can see lots of reasons to go for like really subtle art that like is really cerebral and really makes you think. But we live in the time of concentration camps. We live in the time of global warming. We live on the time of imminent nuclear war. We live in the time of fascism. We can't afford to be subtle. We can't afford to be quiet. And I feel like the only way that you really can make a difference is by being as loud as possible about this stuff. Absolutely. Hey, 
everybody. Just want to jump in real quick and tell you about a couple of other podcasts on the Lunar Light Studio Network. And these particular plugs are uh, self-motivated. So the first I want to talk about is Comradical. Comradical is an educational podcast about socialism that seeks to take the high concept theories and ideas behind socialism and make them easy to digest. It is hosted by Haley and Johnny. It's been on a bit of a sabbatical, but it's about to come back in a few days, uh, I believe on Saturday, yeah, sure, uh, that uh, I guested on, uh, as I mentioned in this episode. Uh, it's an episode about unionization in the game industry, and it was a very enlightening conversation, and I think that you will enjoy it, and I'm really excited for the future of Comradical uh, as a show, as they're getting towards like bringing on more guests and talking about more like applicable aspects of communism and socialism. So you can find Comradical on the Lunar Light Studio network, uh, uh, lunarlightstudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts, like on the Apple store. The other podcast I want to tell you about is Mock Footage. Mock Footage is a movie rewatch podcast with a twist. You see, Ray has not seen very many movies. And so each episode, they pick a movie and they discuss what Ray thinks that it's about. And then they watch the movie together and then they discuss the differences and similarities. Uh, it's a fun, good show. And I also guest on that one. <laughs> uh, sometime after this, um, we watched Young Frankenstein and it was a good time. I was in a very sardonic mood, so I think I wound up being actually pretty funny in that one, uncharacteristically. So uh, my girlfriend's going to be mad that I uh, self-deprecated in the ad break. Um, oops. Anyway, you can find mock footage on LunarLightStudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Go. Go get those. But finish listening to this uh, episode first because uh, the rest of this conversation is very good. Let's get back to it. Do you feel like th- th- this is this is not meant to be a question that's uh, like qualitative towards you? Because I... I've always, in my own stuff, tried to inject politics as much as possible. Mm. I like to think of my like YouTube videos as this is media analysis in a general sense that you like, yo, you, there's here's a video about fucking Star Wars movie or whatever. Mm. But I've I've been trying to get more and more explicit in my messaging lately uh, because I agree with you that like the 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 time for subtlety and like. Uh, slow building tactics is is long since passed. And as somebody who tries to make art, I feel like that's the best that I can do. But I also often find myself wondering, is that enough? And coming up feeling like it absolutely is not. And I'm curious how you feel. (laughs) I don't know if it's possible to do enough. Mm. I think all you can do is what you can. Um, I don't feel like art is the only thing in my capacity to do. I want to do other things in my life. Things that I probably can't talk about on podcasts. Of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I That was like half tongue in cheek. Um, I sure. feel like, give, like doing art 
is only half of the issue. You have to tell people what's right and what's wrong, or at least what your own personal interpretation of what's right and what's wrong is, and what's going on and what's happening in the world. But you also have to get them out there to actually start doing things about it. You have Mm -hmm. to get people organized. You have to organize yourself. You have to uh, connect with your community on a very basic level. Um, so that you have these support networks when things go wrong, and things will go wrong. (laughs) Like, things are bad now, but they're only going to get worse. So it's very important that when things do go bad, we have each other. Yeah. Is Is there a way in which you feel like game development is suited for this type of thing? I feel like I've seen so many... Now that I've been looking for them, like explicitly queer, like Unity games on itch, basically, mm-hmm. and and I I can't help but feel like there's something unique in how maybe maybe because the tools are free or or e- easier to access. Mm-hmm. So I was on uh, another podcast called Comradical a little while ago. I don't think the episode will have come out actually by the time this goes up. Uh, but it was actually talking about unionization in the industry and how the industry is like deeply problematic in, in, in terms of like labor exploitation. Mm-hmm. And the, the two like marquee guests were both people who uh, work for Game Workers Unite and, and uh, who are active in like unionization and, and work more in the like AAA sphere. And I asked them what would you say to somebody who wants to get into game development? And their first answer was don't. Hmm. And that's really stuck with me because I've, I've heard that across a lot of disciplines. Like I went to film school mm-hmm. and a lot of people who came there is like, when you ask a question along those lines, uh, the first thing they say is like, don't do it. It's hard. It's painful. It sucks. But if you feel like you have to do it anyway, here's the advice. And I, I don't know how I feel about that as a guideline, like as a starting point. And I don't know if I have a question. I'm just speaking my thoughts into the <laughs> void. Yeah. Uh, can I respond? Please do. Yeah. Um, that is something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. Like, yes, I am queer. Yes, I am trans. Yes, I am mentally ill, but I'm also immensely privileged I got to go to college for four years, graduate without any debt. And Mm. like, because of that, I had four years of runway to get to the point where I could start being profitable. It's only now that I'm only making enough money to pay rent. Um, Right. And like, it's been a buildup definitely. But if I had started with, this is my day job from day one as an independent game developer, I couldn't have made it. That's something that I spent a lot of time thinking about. Like, all in all, like, everything considered, I am still immensely privileged. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, I mean, th- that's that's the issue with, like, capitalism and the whole system, right? Like, uh, the people who would be the freshest voices for game development are the people who can't afford to be in it. Either because they can't afford to go to college or they can't afford to spend... 12 hours a day working at a studio or they can't afford to go indie. Yeah. There's just not enough money and not enough time. 
Capitalism puts itself out as the system where everything, like the the cream of the crop, always rises to the top, right? Uh-huh. But that's not how anything works. If you're if you start at the bottom, you're fucking stuck at the bottom, and like you can claw your way out, but it's it takes years and years, and oftentimes you get fucked over by just one little problem. Oftentimes something that's not even your fault, right? And then you're just stuck. You're fucked. Yeah, you're back to square one. It makes me furious. Yeah. No, I've I've been thinking about the, uh, the same thing because um, my my own YouTube channel has blown up through uh, partially like a, a, a lot of hard work from uh, from me. I've I treated it like a job, or I made the conscious decision to treat it like a job, like two ish years ago. And I, I had a strategy for how I wanted to build up an audience over time and ultimately it paid off, but, or it is in the process of paying off, I should say, <laughs> but my like breakthrough moment was entirely luck in the mm. sense that, you know, this time last year I had like 800 subscribers on YouTube. I made a video analyzing the controversy around a ContraPoints video mm-hmm. and defending it. And uh, Natalie Wynn retweeted that video. And I went from 800 subscribers to like 8,000 in the course of a week. Jeez. And I'm now sitting at like 18,000 subscribers. And now things are steadily like growing in, in a way that's like kind of predictable for me to the point where... I can start actually making plans and, you know, I'm, I'm immensely grateful and I've, I, I don't feel like that's an accident or that I like don't quote unquote deserve it, but it does stick out to me so much that I was very lucky in that break. And I was lucky that in the same way I was able to go to college mm-hmm. and have the time to, dick around for most of a decade basically like Hmm. i have i have i've had immense privilege in that regard Mm -hmm. and when people ask me like how do i get started making stuff i genuinely have a hard time finding a, a, a satisfying answer because a lot of it does have to do with your access to leisure time to to time that's off from a job like I have a, I have a friend who just quit her day job to start doing like streaming full time and she's terrified about it but like she had she had to because the job was so mentally taxing that she couldn't do the stuff that she wanted to do and she's like taking mm. a huge risk. So what do you say I guess to to people who are wanting to try to make art online or like get into game development? I tell them to be careful. I tell them to never overwork themselves. I tell them to always sign a contract before working with somebody. Mm -hmm. I tell them to watch out, partly because of the sheer number of fucking creeps in the industry, Um, especially powerful men. Never trust a powerful man. (laughs) Um, Often don't trust a powerful woman either. Just don't trust people in power. That's my rule number one. Um, Has been for... He's like a decade now. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you, it all comes down to luck after a certain point. If you're, if you're into game development because you want to express yourself, you can do that. You can do that easily. 
if you want to be in game development because you want to like make money you can join a company that may just run you to the ground but we can't discourage people entirely from joining the industry because then it'll never get better mm. we have to make a better industry for the people who come next you know that is our job as people who are in the process of quote unquote making it um there's a quote that i want to look up real fast go for it yeah okay um this is a, a quote by the late tony, uh, tony morrison um, I tell my students, when you get these jobs that you have, that have been so brilliantly trained for, just remember that your real job is if you are free, you need to free somebody else. If you have some power, then your job is to empower somebody else. This is not just a grab bag candy game. Oof. Our, our, our job in this system is both to survive in the system and to make the system better. Piece by piece. We need to promote unionization we need to promote better work practices we need to promote better salaries we need to lift up smaller creators um so that they have as much of a chance as we did mm -hmm. i get this feeling a lot of times in this year of our lord 2019 <laughs> that things are really bleak mm. and i feel like everybody here listening probably feels the same way. I want to ask you what gives you hope right now. Like we, we talk a lot about having to fight and I'm, I'm, I'm always wondering where the, where the, the fight comes from. What gives you hope enough that you're willing to fight? Hmm. And if I think about that one for a sec, please do take your time. The thing that gives me hope is basic human decency. That not every person, because everybody's different, but in so many people, you see this spark of kindness that you just... It, it's, it's difficult to explain, but essentially my philosophy has always been that the only thing that can satisfy people is other people. Like... The, the hedonic treadmill states that essentially you can never be satisfied because you always go back to that state of neutralness. But I don't think that's 100% correct. I think if you find hope in other people, if you find happiness in other people, in community, then you can have that be enough. Like, love can be enough. Friendship can be enough jokes with your friends can be enough like all these little things that are just the ways that humans make other humans feel good and i want to savor that I, I savor those moments i want to continue them i fight not for myself but for other people hmm. does that make sense absolutely and you just articulated something that I, I feel pretty much identically getting getting slightly away from uh, from the existential. How did you get into communist thought or just anti-capitalist thought in general? Yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly what my specific tendency is. I'm still figuring things out. Yeah, um, I guess yeah. if I'm anything, I'm probably an anarchist. Mm -hmm. um, but. I don't know. It's, it's sort of the same thing. I got into it because 
I had friends who like had the patience to tell me what was up in the world. I saw the friends that I had being fucked over by a system that didn't care about them. And I wanted to change that. Yeah. Or at least do as much as I could to change it. And what do you, what do you say to people who uh, insist that that's just how the world works? That like, you know, well, the world's unfair. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pull up another quote for this. Hell yeah. When you cut out the silence, I'm going to sound so fucking smart. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> so to quote the late Ursula Le Guin, uh, we live in capitalism. Its power seems inescapable. So did the divine right of kings. Any human power can be resisted and changed by human beings. Resistance and change often begin in art, and very often in our art, the art of words. Mm. The, the world isn't just this way. It didn't become this way out of nothing. It hasn't always been 2019. A million years ago, all of this was forest and desert. And to say that this state that we are in right now is somehow natural, just because we happened upon it, it's unreasonable. If the world is bad, then we need to push to make it better. I don't know how to make it I don't know how to put it more simply than that. Yeah, it's it's along the lines of like, I don't know how to tell you uh, that you should care about other people. Mm. Yeah, the appeals to an unfair universe have never made sense to me. Hmm. This went in a direction I wasn't expecting. <laughs> yeah, we did end up getting kind of heavy, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the start of the podcast, before we started recording, Sarah was like, we're probably not going to make it that heavy. And here we are. Yeah, here we are. <laughs> I've quoted two dead authors. Yeah. Anytime you uh, start discussing the uh, the greasy black tendrils of capitalism, it always gets into these exis- – for me, at least, it always gets into this existential, like, either – you fight for revolution or you die slowly. Do you have any final thoughts hmm. in general on this topic? Buy meat punks? Yeah. It feels disingenuous to say that after the talk we just had. <laughs> I have a game on Kickstarter now mm-hmm. and it's good. It's really good. I, I think we made a bump and trailer. Yeah, you did. 16 different cuts. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Buy meat punks, care for each other, stay safe. No, even better, stay dangerous. Stay dangerous, fuck yeah. Yeah, I would say to anybody listening, obviously go buy meat punks. And if you're the sort of cheeky bastard who's like... Oh, you're you you're anti-capitalist, and yet you engage in capitalism. Yeah, it's called paying rent, motherfucker. Y- yeah, get out of here. We live we live in a society. I'm sorry. <laughs> pay independent artists what they're worth, and like, go uh, donate as much as you can to this Kickstarter and buy Heather's game, and then f- games, and then f- go find other. Artists, And actually, this is a good question to sort of end on. Do you have any recommendations for mm. other uh, game developers who maybe don't have uh, uh, 
uh, the mm. same same profile that you do necessarily. Like to wreck people? Um, yeah, me... or, or people or games either way. Yeah, let me uh, do a little bit of searching. Mm-hmm. Because my memory is awful. Because I grew up with depression, so that mm. part of my brain never really grew up. Hey, me too. <laughs> well, how about this? How about I wreck the other people who are working on the team? Because, like, I want to be clear, I'm not the only person working on Meat Punks. Yeah. Um, it is a decently large team, and I want to make sure everybody gets their due. Hell yeah. Yeah, so there's myself, um, who you can find at heather.flowers or meatpunks.com. Um, there is Josie Breckner, a.k.a. Visager, who is a fantastic musician and who's worked on games such as Blossom Tales of Sleeping King, My Electric Heart, um, Game Monster Kiss Club, and again, Meat Punks. Um, Reiner is ACI, who is our character artist and designer, um, who was the lead writer on Genderect Post-Apocalyptic Genderpunk, um, wrote a short comic called Non-Binary Star, um, and is currently working on a, uh, dating sim called Gay Monster Kiss Club, which I'm very excited about. Oh, yeah, I was looking at that. Mm-hmm. It looks hype as hell, right? It does, yeah. Then we have Colin Horgan, um, who, again, worked on Luca Born of the Dream, fantastic game you should check it out mm-hmm. um annette benny who's my friend yeah she is she had, she doesn't really have many like art credits but she's fucking cool and she's the reason that me punks is as good as it is um she's the concept writer on that game um next we have griffin b mabonglo um which is a sensitivity reader um they're also working er, on a um audio drama called internal headache as a sensitivity reader um, then we have M. Gawere, um, who is a multi-instrumentalist, composer, and sound designer who did the um, song Crash Queen on the Meat Punks Car by Blood soundtrack. Hell yeah. Yeah, they were the person who did the bass. Okay. Yeah, that's... A, God, the bass on that song was fucking killer. <laughs> um, and then we have uh, Michaela Nadegal, um, she, her, uh, who was the violinist for the trailer music that you just heard and who the rest of you will hopefully be hearing soon. Please mm. check out that trailer. It's really fucking good. I spent several months on it. Um, Zero Perkins, who does the menu art on Meat Punks um, and is also just like a really cool artist by themselves. Um, Dave Makes, who is working on Pan Galactic Railway and Mixalumia. Um, and Princess Cavalinas, who is working on some postcards for the game. Hell yeah. I've seen that, some That's of my list of 11 people. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, an excellent list. Uh, as somebody who's worked in the film industry, I feel like I'm, all, I'm always like, don't just give the director credit. There's a lot of other <laughs> people who worked on the thing. So yeah, I'm all for raising the profile of everybody. Yeah, and there'll probably be a couple more people who join the team over the course of the game as we like figure out things that we need. Um, mm-hmm. So there might be like another sensitivity reader or a, a, like a few more people working on art, etc. We'll figure it out as we go. But at present, that's the list. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. This was a really cool thing. Yeah, I had a good time. And I'm looking forward to this disaster of a game. (laughs) I'm glad.
Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Trans-Questioning Podcast. Links to everything that we've talked about are in the description. The TQ Podcast is proudly hosted by the Lunar Light Studio Network, and if you like what we do and want to support us in making more, why not go to patreon.com slash lunarlighthq and uh, donate a bit of money. It goes to whichever creators that you want the, to support. And we have monthly live streams, uh, Patreon-exclusive outtakes and bonuses for each show. And we're working on projects like uh, Dark Podcasts, which are exclusive uh, for patrons that are uh, basically like a testing ground for ideas or just a place to drop projects that we feel like uh, wouldn't be suitable for a... Uh, a wide public audience. So that that uh, that address again is patreon.com slash light HQ. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter at HMS No Fun, but for podcast-specific updates, you can go to at TransQ Podcast. If you have questions, thoughts, comments, stories, or anything else related to the trans or non-binary experience, why not send me an email at transquestionpodcast at gmail.com or send an anonymous message over at curiouscat.me slash transquestioning. Intro and outro music is by Zoestra. The cover art is by Dear Witch. Thank you again, again, for listening. And I'll see you again, 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 again uh, next week. All right. Farewell. Lunar Light Studio. Pretty, witty, and gay. <laughs>